0: Is on its back now. It's really impacting everything.
1: Economic efficiencies, which means
0: some more job
2: opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset class. Money for nothing.
1: Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing on this Monday morning with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Syriza leader Alexis Tsipras says that the austerity era is over for Greece after the victory of his party. The euro slips with S&P 500 futures on the Greek vote. Oil and copper futures also decline. And Kuroda says that the Bank of Japan may need to get creative in any further monetary stimulus. Today on Money for Nothing, we kick off with a discussion on Greece and uh, the ECB's quantitative easing. That's with Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Keith Pugson of tax and advisory firm EY he talks about opportunities in China's financial services sector. And Brian Jackson of IHS Global tells us why foreign deposit investment is down in on the mainland. Alex Wong of Ample Capital joins us as guest host. Good morning, Alex.
3: Good morning, Anita.
1: so how's this for a bit of topical Monday theme?
3: Oh, I think uh, today probably we would see some uh, choppiness in Hong Kong as, uh, as usual. Probably we would see some pullback, uh, first of all because of Greece, and then I think uh, the uh, US dollar strength would finally drag down some uh, uh, Valuation in Hong Kong local enterprises. But I think the the impact would not be too much on the overall market because China is still doing the easing. So uh, uh, almost half of the companies or more than half of the companies would not be affected by the US dollar strength. But I think uh, we would see some uh, sell-off in uh, local enterprises.
1: Certainly lots to talk about, but definitely Greece is the way we are feeling. Greece has voted and it has chosen to enter unknown territory. Gone is the decades-long centrist consensus replaced by a radical left-wing party called Syriza, which has gained at least 35% of the vote in Sunday's election. Its leader, Alexis Tsipras, told Greeks that his party's win meant an end to austerity and humiliation, and the country's regular and often fraught debt inspections were a thing of the past. Well, the Federal Reserve could be key for Wall Street this week as we get to hear from the U.S. Bank for the first time since a series of moves by its global peers, including the European Central Bank's massive stimulus plan. As far as Europe goes, uh, ECB board member Benoit Kroix says that it has played its part by extending QE, but now governments must do the rest.
4: We can do everything for Europe. Uh, We all have a job to do. Uh, We've done our part on Thursday. Um, others have to do their part, and there is nothing we can do as uh, ECB, as central bank, that can uh, lift uh, the uh, growth rate of Europe uh, in a lasting way. That's about productivity. That's about having the right business environment. That's about having people want to invest. We can make it cheaper to invest, uh, but people have to to want to invest, uh, and that is really the role of, of finance minister. That is the role of government. So we all have a job to do.
1: Now, when you talk about monetary policy in general, inflation, certainly in the case of Japan, has not gone up as much as expected, maybe worldwide. So are there limits to what monetary policy can do? Here's Haruhiko Kuroda, governor of the Bank of Japan, speaking from the World Economic Forum in Davos.
3: Yes, uh, in the short run, uh, oil price decline tend to reduce inflation rate all over the world. Uh, including the U.S., Europe, as well as Japan. But in the medium to long run, uh, declined oil prices could raise real growth rate, and that would eventually uh, raise inflation rate uh, gradually. So uh short answer is yes and no.
1: Last week's larger-than-expected stimulus package from the ECB lifted U.S. stocks, helping indices post gains for the week after three straight weeks of losses. There is a fear, however, from uh, Mark Carney, who is the governor of the Bank of England, that uh, easy monetary policy could prompt excessive risk-taking in financial markets. Let's bring in uh, Barry Wood, our THK's international economics correspondent based in Washington. Good morning, Barry.
5: Good morning, Renita.
1: So, Barry, the Fed meets uh, this week. The FOMC meeting is scheduled for later this week. Would it be tougher for the Fed to move ahead with its own plan to start raising rates by mid-year, lest uh, U.S. economic policy move out of sync with the rest of the world?
5: Well, it's in a way already out of sync, isn't it? I mean, the Fed is cutting back on bond buying. It's over. And the ECB is moving ahead and the Japanese will have to do something. It was interesting to hear Kurodasan say yes and no. Yes (laughs) and no. Japan has got a big problem.
1: Very definitive.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think, Renita, that uh, the central bank here in the States is going to be particularly decisive anytime soon. The statement that we're likely to see on Wednesday will probably say, you know, we're continuing to monitor data. The U.S. recovery continues. We watch international developments with care. They won't address the dollar because they'll always say that's a Treasury responsibility, not a Federal Reserve one. So I don't expect much this week, and I don't expect that to really alter their policy given what
1: you've just asked. Alex, uh, what are your thoughts here? Um, You know, what do you say specifically to Barry's comment about the fact that they won't address the issue of the dollar?
3: I think, yes, Uh, it is very likely the Fed to be decisive in the meantime because the the outlook is so unclear. And then uh, actually the uh, market is also... um, very, very strange, because we are seeing a very strong risk-off attitude uh, in, in the U.S. or, or in uh, other, other places. Uh, but uh, only in Europe people are buying stocks aggressively because of the declining currency.
1: Barry, um, you know, coming back to Greece, uh, this election, what is it going to mean now for Greece and the eurozone?
5: Well, it means there's uncertainty ahead, and that will begin really just in a few hours' time. I think it's already begun with the election result, but the Eurozone, the finance ministers of the countries in the zone, are meeting Monday in, I think, Brussels, and uh, they will no doubt be discussing what they've discussed for several meetings, and that is, what about Greece? Uh, They'll wait to see what Syriza, you know, once a government is formed, what the policy of Syriza is because, you know, the Greeks talk a lot about... I'm talking about Syriza and Mr. Tsipras. He talks a lot about austerity being over and that the humiliation of the Greeks is over and that renegotiation of the debt is on. But I'm not sure that's going to be the full picture. I I think we've got uncertainty and volatility in markets in Europe for the next several weeks.
1: So, uh, realistically, do you think uh, that... the? they will be in a discussion in a position to at least discuss renegotiation of uh, greek's debts yes i
5: do look one should remember that going back these 5 years that you know the greeks have been you know treading water and trying to get their economy to grow and to put these reforms in place only half of which have happened but the greeks were to be rewarded with debt forgiveness for at least a big percentage of their very large foreign debt. Well, if the Greeks are now going to say, screw you, we're Mm -hmm. not going to continue with the policies that we promised in return for the money you're providing, then you can have a confrontation. But I'm not sure that's likely to happen, but certainly, The Europeans, that means the countries that have provided the aid to Greece and continue to provide it, they're not going to say, oh, right, you know, we'll just write that off because welcome to the club. This is going to take time. And I don't think the International Monetary Fund, the European Central Bank, and the European Union are going to waver. They want to keep Greece in the eurozone, but the Greeks have to make sure they're going to put the policies in place that allow them to stay.
1: Yes, uh, but the question really is at what cost? I mean, uh, John Milios is a self-described Marxist with a PhD in economics, and he says that one solution could be a swap. Uh, Alex, I'd like to ask your opinion on this. Milios wants to give the central bank a different type of bond, which he calls a zero-coupon uh, zero perpetual. In other words, a bond that pays a zero interest rate for the entire duration of the bond, which in this case could be forever. What are your thoughts
3: on well oh, that, that is uh, essentially a right off I think exactly yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so is it realistic
3: oh, I think uh, this, is, uh, this is not realistic, I think because this encourages uh, uh, you, you to, to be, be responsible actually yeah.
1: Now, Milios insists that the ECB would eventually get paid back and that the country would begin buying back the debt that is repaying it once the economy has grown sufficiently, uh, that the country's debt-to-GDP ratio falls to 20%, from the current level of 174%. But And he calculates that this would take 58 years. So, Barry, do you agree with Alex? Is this essentially a write-off that is being proposed? Why,
5: of course. And Alex... uh You know, the question is, how are the Greeks going to grow? This is a tourist economy. Greek shipping isn't recovering because the eurozone is weak. Greece's economy doesn't grow unless the European economy grows. So I I think Syriza is sort of caught. But this is a very delicate situation. It's a delicate problem for all concerned. But I think the financial markets have already made their... Determination, and that is that the Greek bond prices are going to continue to sink, the interest rates will rise, and we'll wait to see what kind of solution. There could be, as you suggest, Renita, from that Greek economist and a whole new crowd coming in, that there could be a creative solution. But I don't think we have a clue as to what that might be.
1: So, Barry, does this uh, bring sort of the north-south uh, conflict in the Eurozone to a head?
5: Well, you know... It's never coming to something that we can say, this was the decisive moment. But certainly this reignites the European problem. And the signal that is being sent from a little economy on the periphery of the eastern Mediterranean to Spain, for example, is quite strong. Podemos, which is a party in Spain that is not unlike Syriza. They are going to feel stronger as a result of this. And their program is much the same as Syriza, to say, you know, don't pay the debt, end of austerity, we've had enough. But, of course, they also want to stay in the eurozone. So these are dilemmas that are, in one sense, almost intractable.
1: All right, Barry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Barry Wood, our international uh, economics correspondent from Washington, D.C. The time is now 8.15 a.m. and Li ka hectic start to 2015 has meant record Asia M&A loan and equity deals so far this month. That's good news for investment bankers close to the 86-year-old Hong Kong tycoon's empire. The brisk business, 108 billion of Asia M&A makes it the best start to a year and raises hopes that the Chinese year of the goat could bring a windfall to a region that has been starved of fees. Alex, Gold Goldman Sachs has long been a favorite of uh, Li Ka-shing, but the mandate for the O2 deal, the recent O2 deal, has been given to HSBC and MOLIS, uh, a boutique advisory firm. Is this a sign that uh, Goldman Sachs is perhaps losing its grip on uh, Li Ka-shing's
3: Oh Probably um, some of its uh, market share has gone, yeah. Uh, probably, this is not a good sign, yeah.
1: So what do you think uh, this activity uh, means for overall M&A activity in Hong Kong this year?
3: Oh, I think, uh, probably, uh, from, for, for Li ka deals, uh, we are seeing a swap in, uh, US dollar asset to Europe dollar base asset, actually. I, I, I think, uh, it is his strategy of the group. So, uh, we may see kind of, uh, these kind of things going on, uh, within his group, but I don't think that this share, this will is now shared, uh, uh, with, uh, other tycoons, uh, yet.
1: All right. And speaking of China's financial services, uh, this is a sector that is difficult to crack for foreign banks. Among the regulatory hurdles are equity investment limits that prohibit uh, owning more than a 20 percent stake in domestic banks. Still, there's a general optimism among foreign bankers about the unfolding environment. This is according to a poll by tax advisory firm EY. Let's welcome uh, Keith Pogson, who is the global assurance leader for banking and capital markets at EY.
4: Good Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Renita.
1: So, Keith, you know, China seems to be making slow progress on uh, opening up its financial sector to foreign banks. Is there a frustration amongst uh, foreign bankers?
4: Well, I, I think there is. If you look at relative growth rates, the uh, foreign banks are finding it difficult to increase their business onshore. Um, if if anything, if you look at the numbers, their percentage of market share actually shrunk over the last 12 months. That is a relative game. The uh, domestic banks are growing quickly relative to the foreign banks who are still growing. It's just they're growing at a slower rate, uh, really restricted by lending controls by the Chinese imposed on those foreign banks.
1: And last year, restrictions that block access to China's bond market were of focus. Where do we stand on this issue?
4: Well, I I think it's getting uh, easier for the foreigners. There are more licenses being given up. Um, But uh, back to what you were just discussing with Alex, it's really the the big opportunities for the investment banks are actually going to be in M&A and uh, in the equity IPO market this year, um, where we see a much more buoyant marketplace ahead.
1: Now, there have been calls to remove uh, foreign guarantee quotas as well as uh, removing foreign debt quotas and uh, improving coordination among regulators. Any progress on this?
4: Um, Unfortunately, it's all slow water at the moment, um, as is the case with the FTZ in Shanghai, um, where expectations were high, but people are generally um, a bit muted by the responses so far. It's just been slow going. Oh dear!
1: What about uh, what about mobile banking and social media fostering new opportunities?
4: Well, well, this this was always a hope. You know, if you're a foreign bank coming into China, you see the landscape. You've got four big banks with you know more than ten thousand branches easier uh, out out there. Um, if you're a foreign bank. Obviously, the hopes were that you could use the Internet or mobile banking to reach out to the billion-plus people in China. However, uh, in the last 12 months, we've obviously seen Alibaba and Tencent pile into this space with WeBank and with URB and other things from Alibay. Um, so it's sort of a valley of death. You know, the, the, the foreign banks can't expand so quickly through the branch network, but on the other side, they've got the Internet titans squeezing into their space. So, uh, again, probably not the best outlook domestically, um, but still, China is a big market
1: Alex, your thoughts
4: oh, yeah, I think uh, of course it's difficult and uh, and and
3: probably later on the the, the, the competition from WeBank, uh, those kind of internet banking actually would, would, would kill the prospects uh, of 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 the foreign banks because of 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 the uh, growth rate uh, probably would be strongest in the initial stage, but of course, China is the big market, and uh, there would still be opportunities
2: but
1: uh, Keith, this can't possibly be a good thing for China, could it?
4: What? You know, I think it's great that the Chinese have managed to build some real domestic champions who can provide stability in their banking system. So actually having large people who can deliver capital and investment across their economy is not a bad thing. Um, The Chinese banking system continues to grow pretty rapidly um, and supports the uh, investment needs in the economy. Um, Where the foreigners are really actually having success is in offshore banking. It's uh, bringing trade finance and uh, obviously with the way that commodity markets and... And uh, the FX markets have been moving of late. Um, The risk management skills they bring are increasingly valuable.
1: All right. So the growth of foreign direct investment in China hit a two-year low in 2014. And momentum is weak entering the new year. Let's bring in Brian Jackson, who is an IHS economist. He joins us by phone. Good morning, Brian.
6: Morning. Hi. Good to speak with you.
1: Good. Good to have you on the show, Brian. Can you quickly take us uh, through the statistics um, uh, on foreign direct investment in China? Sure. So, so last year in
6: 2014, FDI growth into China was around 1.7 percent, and that compares to around 5 percent in 2013. Um, so, this clearly is uh, you know slowing. And to give an idea of, of where that puts China, the total is around 119 billion full year, uh, and we don't have other countries yet for comparison, it's likely that China will be somewhere in the top five as it has been in some years. So while the growth is slowing down, China certainly is still a key destination for FDI globally. Um, and there's also, I'd say, an interesting disparity within the FDI data for China. So, for example, into the industrial sector, there was actually a contraction of around 13%, whereas investment in services grew by around 11.5%. So this just shows that there is uh, – a bit of a, a change going on in China, where traditionally 10 years ago, uh, it certainly would have been more the case that manufacturing and industry was a big focus, whereas now companies from abroad are more and more looking to services.
1: Yeah, so manufacturing is certainly becoming more expensive ah. in China. This has been an ongoing theme. When you talk about a growth in services, what kind of services uh, are, we, are we seeing grow the most?
6: Well, if you want to, we can look at it in a few ways. One would be, of course, uh, what are the sort of the biggest ones in the room, what, what account for the most uh, FDI in the services area? Um, and that very clearly is real estate and commercial services. And despite the downturn in the real estate market in China, uh, real estate still continues to grow uh, within the FDI by about 18% year-on-year. Year. Um, and that accounts for about a third of services FDI. That said, there are some other ones which are growing much, much faster. They account for, of course, relatively smaller share. Um, But I'd say they point towards areas that foreign companies see as uh, providing more domestic market as opposed to an export market. Um, So that would, for example, be recreational services and cultural services grew by about 66 percent last year, uh, or one which I think we're all aware of as as a pressing issue in China, water conservation and environmental services grew by about 40 percent year-on-year last year in the FDI area.
1: All right Brian thank All you right. so much uh, for joining us this morning that is Brian Jackson he is an IHS uh, global economist and thank you also to Keith Pogson, who is a global assurance leader for banking and capital markets at EY Let's take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down 209 points to 17,301. S. uh, Solza, Solza Cosby is also down 7 points to 1,928. And in currencies, 1 euro will currently buy you 1.11 euro. U.S. dollars. Wow, that's low. Uh, The U.S. dollar is currently trading at 117 yen and one pound sterling buys you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 62 cents. Well, fans of the sporty Ford Mustang will now have an opportunity to buy the car from Ford dealers in China. What is known by many as the pony car in the U.S. has been a popular model in China, but it's only been available on what is known as a gray market where vehicles are sold by second parties. Ira Melman of the Voice of America spoke with Joe Hinrich. He is the executive vice president of the Ford Motor Company. He spoke to him about Ford's decision to start exporting the Mustang. To parts of Asia,
7: we've done research all over the world, but especially in places like China. And what we've found is that when you look at Ford products, recognition of nameplate, recognition of our history, Mustang has always shown up in the top five for most of these major markets because of, his, of Mustang's presence in movies and TV shows and and songs from America. It's part of American pop culture, and so people have been interested in the Mustang for as long back as we can remember. This is the first time in 50 years we're offering it to a lot of the countries around the world. In China specifically, our business has been growing very strongly there, and our dealers are very excited to offer another product to our great customers there.
0: Well, Ford has been doing business in China for a little while, but until now really hasn't had the presence there of other companies, and uh, specifically, I'm sure, in your mind, is General Motors. They've been selling Buicks there to uh, to great success for years. Is your push into the market a little too late, or is this a good time to do it?
7: Well, actually, you know, Ford's been one of the fastest-growing brands in China over the last several years. When you look at our business, um, especially the last couple of years, we've been really strong growing. As a matter of fact, the Focus name the number one selling vehicle in China for the last couple of years from a car standpoint. So we believe our, our recent success just demonstrates the strong recognition of the brand, the desire of our internationally competitive products, and we're seeing great growth with even more capacity and new products coming in this year.
0: What about the price? The cheapest Mustang that's going to be sold there, I understand is the equivalent of almost 68,000 U.S. dollars, far more than it is here. Why is that the case?
7: really has to do with the cost of logistics of sending the vehicle over there. And importantly, imported vehicles in China have over 20% custom duty requirement for the government. So what you'll see on imported products is they are more expensive, but they're more limited in supply. That's why, by their nature, they're higher priced. And with a sports car like Mustang, we're seeing very strong early demand and interest, and we believe we'll be able to sell the vehicles that we've allocated to China quite easily.
0: What about this parallel market that's getting more and more press of laid of uh, people, of dealerships, of other companies buying American products and then selling them on almost what is a gray market in China? How are you fighting that if you are?
7: Well, we're fighting that gray market by expanding our dealership network in China. We've been expanding it by almost two dealers a week on average for the last several years. And that expansion is bringing us into new markets and more markets than ever before with legitimacy of the factory-backed store and the great presence that we have with our dealer partners. So that's what's happening there. There's still a gray market in China for vehicles, but as we expand more into on the all the different cities in the country you're seeing that diminish
1: Okay, that was uh, Ira Melman of the Voice of America speaking with Joe Hinrich, Executive Vice President of the Ford Motor Company. The Nikkei is down now 114 points to 17,397. Australia, um, excuse me, Sol's Kospi down still 7 points to 1,928. Brent crude oil is currently at $48.30 and gold is at $1,297 per ounce. So, our Alex, uh, parting thoughts for this morning. We've got an FOMC meeting coming up this week. What else should we keeping our eyes on?
3: Oh, uh, I think uh, for this week, uh, probably we need to see uh, whether people would discount the uh, impact of this strong Hong Kong, uh, US dollar on Hong, uh, on Hong Kong. Uh, Because uh, this would reduce uh, the attractiveness of of Hong Kong dollar-based asset and also uh, the competitiveness of of Hong Kong enterprises. So I think that this this is not discounted yet. So uh, this time of QE probably will be different from what we've seen in the US or even in Japan. So uh, we... Probably need to think about the impact on Hong Kong because of the decline in euro. So, uh, very likely, we would see some sell off in local enterprises, but uh, we would see some strength in companies like Cafe Pacific, I think.
1: Are we likely to see any of that before the FOMC meeting, though?
3: Oh, yes. I think uh, FOMC probably would be not a very uh, big event this time because the uh, market is uh, very um, uh, uh, uncertain already. So, probably people would, would not be, have a very heavy position.
1: All right, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital and our regular Monday host on Money for Nothing. And this is Rinita Malhotra Hora wrapping up for the show. A quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be mainly cloudy with a coastal mist in the morning and at night. Currently, the temperature is 17 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 83%.
2: Now it's time for the news with Sam Butler. Greece's left-wing anti-austerity party Syriza has won the country's general election, but it's unclear whether it'll have enough seats in Parliament to govern alone. The party's leader, Alexis Tsipras, told supporters in Athens that the oligarchies of the established parties had been defeated. He said the austerity measures introduced by the outgoing government would end, and he would work with Greece's creditors to agree a viable deal for the country's debt. Mr Tsipras said Greece was turning over a new leaf.
0: Today the Greek people wrote history,
6: hope wrote history,
0: the Greek people gave a clear,
6: powerful mandate, Greece changes page.
2: The French president, François Hollande, congratulated Mr Tsipras and promised to work with the new Greek government to support growth and stability. The British Prime Minister, David Cameron, whose country is the biggest European economy outside the Eurozone, warned that the Greek election would increase economic uncertainty across Europe. And the head of the German central bank said Greece would only receive further support if it honoured the agreements it had reached with its creditors. The authorities in Egypt say at least 18 people, including three police cadets, were killed during protests marking the fourth anniversary of the uprising that toppled President Hosni Mubarak. Radio Australia's Hayden Cooper reports.
4: It was a day of tension as a huge police presence tried to stifle any hint of protest across Egypt.